0: Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dirt Talk. Today, we have Michelle Walker. She is the VP of Finance and Administration for SSC Underground in Phoenix, Arizona. Hi Michelle.
1: Hi Aaron. How are you?
0: Wonderful. Thanks for joining. And I I first met you when we were looking into a pit you guys were digging under a dam in Phoenix, Arizona. I guess that's where we first crossed paths, and then I started to see your work in the mental health and awareness and suicide prevention space, and and figured I'd have to have you on and talk about that since it's such a, it's not it's not a very commonly spoken about topic in this world.
1: It is certainly not, but we're trying to make it more and more common.
0: Well, like I always say, uh, we're going to bring your 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 cause to our all three followers, all three listeners of ours, so. <laughs> Hey. try to try to get the word out as best we can.
1: If those three tell three other people, then you know that's nine more people than than knew about it yesterday. So
0: exactly. That's how that's how movement's built, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, I, I always like to start out. So how did you get into the construction industry to begin with? How'd that happen?
1: So I really grew up in construction. So I'm originally from Canada. I'm from northern Alberta, so very far away from Phoenix, Arizona, very different climate. My dad was a general contractor, so he built custom homes, various custom buildings. So I grew up with him, you know, working in construction and I would work for him in the summers and, you know, after school and stuff. So I, I kind of grew up around construction and in a very uh, blue collar oil town. So just kind of that kind of industry has, has been what I've, what I've always been around. And then I moved to Phoenix after university um, and started working uh, here at SSC. My aunt uh, is the owner of SSC underground. And so I just kind of didn't really know what I was doing. I really just kind of came down to visit family and figure out what my next steps were. And so I started working here and 22 years later, I'm, I'm still here and working in the underground construction business.
0: How about that? Did you ever, did you want to get into the industry or did it just kind of happen?
1: Uh, It just kind of happened. I was originally, I went to school, my major was genetics. So I was kind of on the uh, pre-med track and realized that I really didn't want that as a career, wanted to have a family and recognized that, you know, that doesn't, those two things don't necessarily go hand in hand. So I knew I wasn't going to do that. So I started taking some business classes um, in school there. And then once I got down here and started here and uh, it was just kind of a great fit and i enjoy i enjoy the industry of course I, I knew it you know from growing up in it and
0: uh,
1: one of the things I like about it is that it is you know the male dominated I wouldn't do good in like a education setting or you know when I was in the medicine track and and knew that maybe doctor wasn't really the best path and people would say like oh you should be a nurse and I'm like I knew that that kind of female dominated field wasn't probably the best fit for me yeah. um so I just i love the industry I love. I love the people in it. I love, you know, the fact that you're, you know, actually, you know, building and doing and creating things that the world needs to to keep going every day. And so it was a great fit and there was a role here for me. And so I, you know, took additional classes as needed to kind of build up my accounting education and, and went from there.
0: Can you explain, I feel like a lot of people, especially in the field, don't really understand what it takes to make a construction company run. So I get the field is what drives it. The field, they're, they're, they're the billable line items. You're not on an estimate. You know, you're know you just the overhead line item, but without you, they couldn't do what they do. How important is the money? Uh, I mean, how, how important is money in the construction process?
1: Well, I think it's the kind of critical hinge pin that it all revolves around. So yeah. those guys in the field aren't going to stick around too long if you don't pay them. That's a great um, point. And without some good financial management, um, you're going to have a hard time paying them. So I think that you know capital, I think of in any industry is is critical, but I think in construction, and especially when you're in an equipment intensive field in construction, you know, capital is so key to be able to, you know, leverage that capital and and get the equipment necessary and and you know, qualify for projects from a financial standpoint. You know, pre-qualification is a big thing for subs and being financially stable enough that GCs will trust you to be an integral part of their project is so important and then having you know that liquidity so that when the opportunity comes you have the ability to to jump on it if it means you know a big upfront investment for you know travel costs and and getting getting a crew you know to some remote location or it's buying new equipment is really really key so having that having a finger on the pulse and knowing your cash position and and knowing that cash flow and you know, taking that work in progress from not just what are the projects coming up and what are the sales, but what's the cash flow that's going to be created by that so that you have that real trend looking forward and you can identify when there's going to be slow times and when there's going to be, you know, when when the the cash from those slow times is going to catch up with you and when collections are becoming an issue and all of that. So, I mean, I think, you know, cash is king is not not just to saying it's really true. And so having all of the tools in place to really know truly what cash position are you in and, and what, what is that cash position going to look like long-term allows for, for good planning and then allows for you to take those, you know, the opportunities when they come.
0: And that's that's the crazy thing about this industry because it is so capital intensive. So you win a job and you have to go mobilize to a job, go get the equipment for that job the owner's not just handing you a pile of money, okay, go do our job. Like you're you're sometimes not getting paid 30, 60, 90 90 days from when you start it. So you need all that money up front. You're taking all the risk up front hoping you get paid. Sometimes you don't even get paid. Uh, you know on the bad ones that hopefully doesn't happen too often, but you really are taking an enormous amount of risk financially as a contractor in this world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Huge risk. Um, Yeah. You basically become almost a financing company at some point, you know, you're you're financing the project. and, And that's, I think something that GCs don't understand, you know, they don't have the payrolls and they don't have the equipment and all of that. And so I think that that's, you know, in this, the subcontractor role and the farther down the food chain you are, you know, the, the more that gets amplified. So, yeah, not losing track of things and not letting anything get forgotten and staying on top of billings and, you know, making sure you're not missing that bill, you know, billing on the 26th and the 25th and, yeah. and you miss that pay cycle for a whole month, you know, that can, that can be a big deal. So there's a lot of management that goes into it to to keep that cash position healthy.
0: So what, um, what does SSC do in particular? Cause your guys' work is what I think extremely fascinating and, and a lot of times very risky. It's, it's, it's very unique line of work. What do you guys do?
1: So we are a trenchless technology company. So we do horizontal boring and tunneling. And so that means, you know, when pipeline contractor has a, you know, 10 mile stretch of, of water line to put down, you know, the middle of the road, and they hit an intersection that can't be cut open because of traffic or a freeway or a railroad track or a canal or, you know, anything, any of those things that can't be cut open, the utility still has to get underneath of there. So we, dig a pit and sink equipment down in and depending on um, the soil type and the utility and the size of everything, we'll either use, you know, hand excavation using jackhammers or uh, auger boring or, you know, various, you know, tunneling equipment to, to install a steel sleeve underneath of whatever can't be open cut. And then the utility goes through there and the, the pipeline contractor picks up on the other side and, and keeps on going. Um, in addition to that, we do vacuum potholing and excavating. So it's kind of a complementary field um, of locating the utilities that are already in the ground, we started doing it for ourselves. Uh, we used to do a lot of directional drilling. We've gotten out of that market um, from the small side uh, just because of the the competition and kind of the cutthroat nature of that. Yeah. Um, but when we did a lot of the smaller directional drilling, we got into potholing to for our own use to identify the utilities in the bore path. Um, we still use it for our own you know bores, but that's become. It's about 50% of the company now from a revenue standpoint. So we, really? we have a fleet of 10 air vacuum trucks and we're just getting ready to add a hydro truck that we, you know, work on for designers to, you know, locate and map the utilities that are there so they can use them to design projects and then um, during in construction projects to go out ahead of those um, excavators and things to, to safely locate the utilities so that there's no damage to the utilities or you know incidents that could create you know, a safety hazard for the operators.
0: Gotcha. And anyone I, I guess that's been in the underground space knows how important VAC trucks are. And I had no idea how they worked or what they even were. You see them driving around all the damn time. But you just assume that, yeah, they put a water line there. Of course they know where it is. But in reality, no one knows where the hell that water line is a lot of times. So you have to go put a hole in the ground to figure out where it even is before you can dig there or else you're at risk for running into a water line. It's just it's exactly. it's wild how how much you'll find when digging in the ground that isn't supposed to be there?
1: Well, and then the you know as more and more is installed using trenchless methods, especially directional. You know, it's not a straight shot just because the water line's at twenty feet deep. Yeah, um, doesn't mean it's really at twenty feet deep that whole time. It's at you know four feet deep when it first goes in, and so you know all the the more the more crowded the underground space gets and the more different methods that are used to install it, you know, you can't rely on following a trench line and all of those things. So the potholing aspect becomes, you know, more critical every single day.
0: What was learning about all this at when you first came into the company, what was that like? Was it overwhelming? How did you learn about what you guys did day to day? Cause you're on the finance side of things. So you, in theory, you could be really removed from the equation. How did you, how did you figure out what you guys actually do day to day to let you do your job better?
1: So getting out on projects and and seeing them firsthand, you know, I think is, is the key to, to understanding it and, you know, kind of seeing, seeing what all those different (laughs) pieces of equipment and all the things, the bills that you pay are really for, (laughs) Um, and then studying it, studying, you know, being, being a student of the industry and, and reading about other projects and learning about other companies that do what we do. When I started was right when we were starting to do directional drilling. So I was kind of in from the, the onset. So that was a great learning opportunity. And then I was a part of bringing the potholing in. So, you know, kind of as you're bringing something into the company, doing the market research and stuff was really important on that. But um, from the trenchless aspect, just getting out there and and, and seeing what we do. And um, that's, you know, I've had the opportunity to grow in that uh, over the years. So the project that I met you on, the dam the the tunnel under the dam, that was a CMAR project. And we were part of the, it was a, we're a joint venture with the GC building the structures. And we were part of that whole pre-construction CMAR process. So that was a really amazing learning opportunity. I got to do that along with Arvid, who's one of the owners and the real kind of subject matter expert here at SSC and was part of that pre-construction team with him, basically, you know, getting the you know educating the engineer on what tunneling really means and how you really you know what what the limitations of it are and then that that one was unique because it's the regulatory agencies involved so it's a, it, the US Army Corps of Engineers and the Arizona Department of Water Resources and the county flood control are all you know vested parties because it's a dam so trying to meet all of their needs and requirements from a you know failure modes and risk assessment and everything that was I think a great, such a great educational process to really take a deep dive in that world.
0: The amazing thing is about underground is no one ever sees it. No one ever thinks about it, but everyone depends on it every single day, especially like that project. You guys were, it was a, an outfall. Wasn't it like an outfall? Is that what the common term it, for it is? Like like an um, outfall structure? an outlet or? channel. An outlet, um, an outlet yes. Yeah. So uh-huh. So it's to relieve pressure from behind the dam. And then downstream you had thousands of homes just sitting right there that if you didn't relieve the pressure, the dam could in theory fail. And then all these homes are just flooded in Arizona, which you wouldn't think is a possibility, but just the, the impact that you guys have with your work is, is mind boggling. And yet no one ever thinks twice about it, which is the craziest thing.
1: Right. And it's the challenge because you can't really show somebody, hey, we we built that, you know, when your 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 portfolio is really boring because nobody nobody can see what you did. But they're sure thankful that they got to keep driving their normal route to work every day because you weren't cutting open the road that they normally drive on and that their, you know, their water and their, you know, their water, their tap turns on and their toilets flush and all of that. So and like here in Phoenix, you know, our light rail system has grown over the last, you know, decade and a half. And so that's all, you know, that's job security for us because once that track is laid, they're never going to tear it up. And so yeah. that's all opportunity to utilities are still going to have to go in. And so all of that is opportunity for us to more miles of more miles of work opportunity for us.
0: And I guess the in the trenchless world, you want people to not know you're even there when you're doing your job. <sighs> exactly. People don't even yeah. know you're you're there because Absolutely. that's the point. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, if they don't know you were over there, you've, you've done something right.
0: So you guys, you said it was it was your aunt that, that owns the business or co-owns the business now?
1: Yeah, so her and her husband founded it um, with his parents uh, 51 years ago now. So wow. we had our 50th anniversary last year. And then he's been retired, her husband retired almost 20 years ago. So she's been uh, the president and then she has three sons that have been in the business, uh, two that are currently in the business and you know, active and day-to-day operations here.
0: So it's, it's a woman owned business then? Correct. Yeah. Does that, how does that change things? Does it, does it change the dynamic? Does it change what you can bid on? What does that, what does that do for it for the company, if anything?
1: So we're not actually a certified woman owned business. Okay. Um, yeah. Because of the kind of pathway how the company evolved and, and went from her husband as a majority owner to her. Gotcha. Um, they're, we've ran into roadblocks with getting that approved, you know, because unfortunately, a lot of people do that just to get the woman in yes. the, in the yep. front to get that certification, which isn't the case here. But yeah. um, we also recognize that she's not going to be here for forever. So recently, you know, as we've been kind of challenged to seek that certification, that that's not the future, you know, the future is us mm-hmm. being able to do our win the work because we're the most qualified contractor. So um, we don't have that, but from a cultural standpoint, I think it has a big impact. I think you know how we how we look as a company is is impacted by having women in the leadership. You know the things uh, there's a different level of employee care that just mm-hmm. comes through when um, you have that woman involvement. And it's not that other contractors don't care about their employees, but it's just it's just different. You know we we think of things that a group of guys just wouldn't, and so it's definitely impacted the the culture and and who
0: we are by having a female president for sure. It is. and, And I've noticed it too. There is that like, you know, men and women are the same, but then at the same time, they're not in their approach is what I've noticed through like, we're almost half women in our business now and women are just so much more thoughtful and, and, and they think about things that I would never, never even consider in the best of ways. And it's added so much to the company And yet you see a lot of these, these construction companies that are entirely men. I mean, almost a lot of companies don't even have a single woman working at the company. And I just sit there and scratch my head. Like you guys are missing out on such an enormous opportunity here because it brings such a, it's such a different lens on the same problem that makes everything better at the end of the day. At least that's how I've seen it.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I I mean, that's been, that's been our experience for sure. So
0: has it been, has it been easy to be a woman in this industry or what are the, what are the struggles to it? If, if any, for you?
1: Yeah, I really haven't had any struggles. It's interesting. I was just doing, I was recognized as outstanding woman in construction or something by construction business owners. And they were, they asked that question. And I think I almost felt like I was supposed to like talk yeah, about yeah. These, like having yeah. struggles or, you know, <laughs> roadblocks that I'd have to overcome. And I'm like, I really haven't had any. I think the fact that I grew up in the industry and I grew up with a dad who really didn't, like it really didn't matter. You did the job and um a lot of times on you know the projects i work on with him i had the crappiest job because i was his kid and there were the things that nobody else wanted to do you know shoveling sand in the basement and you know whatever they were so definitely no privilege and then the fact that i work for a woman i think um has a big impact in that you know there's kind of that groundwork already laid but just in the industry as a whole and i think one of the things that you know kind of one of my soapboxes that i can get on is you know, women want equal treatment, but do they really want equal treatment or do they want special treatment? And and I'm not I'm not a special treatment person. Yes. Um and so I think it's that's a whole you know whole nother topic, but I think that can get a little tenuous. But I think that the only they're not issues. I, I you definitely get you can get special treatment as a woman in construction. When you're the only woman in a room, you're gonna probably get treated differently, but not for me it's never been a negative. It's been increased respect and i mean the the good old boys network in construction at the end of the day there's a lot of gentlemen out there and mm-hmm. and i think that if they if they treat you a little bit different and give you a little bit more respect and <laughs> a little bit more courteous i don't think that's a bad thing so personally i haven't had any struggles and like i said it's part of what i love about the industry is that it is so male dominated and and you you get away from a lot of the the drama and kind of the some of the petty stuff because of that so
0: I completely agree. That's one of my favorite things about this industry. I say there's no, there's no nonsense, no bullshit that a lot of the rest of the world suffers from, I think these days. And a lot of people right. complain about like, oh, oh, this, you know, political corrected this and this and that. And I'm looking at them, I'm kind of scratching their head, like, I don't know what you're talking about because I'm in this industry and everyone's just here to work. Like, no one's, right. there's no nonsense to it. And yeah, yeah, there's some drama queens here or there, but that's going to be humans in general. But right. I, I love it. It's just pure just we're just out here to do our jobs, put our heads down, work hard, make the world better and then take care of our families. Like that's it. There's no nonsense to it.
1: Right. Well, yeah. and even like there's competition obviously, you know, we have we have competitors and but it's not um like backstabbing competition, <laughs> you know, it's yes. really like you know, at the you fight hard in a bid and then whoever comes out on top, you say good luck and you know, wouldn't especially in like a niche industry like ours. You know, we're thankful for the good competitors because it takes so much effort to educate people about what trenchless is and and how to use it and how to decide what method to use and all of that, that, you know, once you finally convince them and educate them, if you're not the one doing the job, you hope that somebody else does a good job so that they know to use this and do this the next time. And you don't have to fight so hard to get, you know, the right methods integrated into the plans and stuff. And, you know, we have some competitors that aren't great representatives of the industry. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's why we don't like them winning jobs, not because we didn't win it, but because we know that they might do something to damage kind of the reputation of the industry overall. And then that's, that's a battle that we're all have to, you know, work to overcome. So
0: that makes perfect sense. And I know in the trenchless world, like at least I, I talk with Jason Miller every once in a Mm -hmm. while, Midwest mole. And, and, and they work with a lot of, in theory, competitors because it's such a small, tight knit community and all the good ones, they try to help each other out the best they can. And yeah, there's people that they would never touch, but like on the project in Phoenix, I mean, they, they, they do a lot of the work you guys do in a different region. So in theory, you guys do the exact same thing, but you came together on, you know, Hey, these guys are specialists at this, we're specialists at this, and we can benefit from one another being involved in the same project at the same time. It's not one or the other.
1: Right. And and that's where, you know, like I said, it was that was our product. Like we had the whole pre-construction. We could have been, you know, kind of egotistical and go, like, we're gonna we're gonna do this ourselves. So it's only our name on it. But we knew, you know, one from that capital investment. One of the challenges with, you know, equipment and trench lists is that it's not like an excavator that you can go by and no matter kind of what pipeline you're doing, you you use the same excavator, kind of regardless of situation. Ours is really driven by size. And so you might buy. A piece of equipment to do a job and then you might not use it for another 10 years because a project with those requirements doesn't come up again. And so one aspect of it was definitely you know Midwest Mole had the equipment that was the best suited to do the job and it was smarter to partner with them than trying to do it ourselves and the other is experience. You know that's much more their niche market of, of doing the long TBMs um, than us and so on a high profile project with a lot of regulators watching it, yeah. you know, that's not the time to, to do learning. And so bring in the experts and partner with them and, and be successful for everybody at the end. So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. As you, in our, in our world, there's, there's few enough of us around. And especially of those that have the same, you know, similar cultures and mindsets and, you know, focus on quality that it, it only makes sense to kind of help each other out rather than just fight tooth and nail all, all the time.
0: Well, I feel like a lot of contractors would benefit from that approach. And yet the egos are so big in this world. A lot of times that everyone just wants the whole piece, the whole pie for themselves. And nope, no, 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 you don't get your share. Even though we'd both be better sharing the same, same pie or making another one. Nope. We just want this one and and get out of here. And it's so funny to watch all these like ego driven decisions. And you're sitting there scratching your head. Like, what are you guys doing? What, What don't you know better after doing this for decades? Like, why are you doing that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, I kind of prefer let's all succeed together than fail independently.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let's, let's get into the mental health side of things. Cause that's what really caught my eye with what you have going on. And I saw, I think what, what, what it was, was you were featured by, by Caterpillar, if I'm not mistaken. And, and so I saw it would, it via cat. And I was like, wait a minute, I've met that woman before. She, works at this trenchless company. And then I reached out to you and, hey, I want to learn more about this because I try to talk about it quite a bit with people in general in this industry. I've tried to be very transparent about my own mental struggles because mm-hmm. I'm working through things in my mind like everyone else's. No one's immune to it. So I've tried to be very open about it. And I've had a lot of people on the podcast. Like I had a gentleman an episode or two ago, we talked about suicide. He tried to commit suicide. And and the gun wouldn't work. I mean, that's why he's still around because the gun that he said had worked uh, 10 out of 10 times before would not work. And he's in the industry. So we've touched on it a little bit, but it's not something that is talked about nearly enough in this world. And then when we were talking initially on that initial phone call, you brought to my attention, hey, this was ranked number one for suicide, this career, which I had no idea. Like, I didn't know it was that serious. I know I knew it was serious. And I've seen a lot of very dark things in this industry from a mental health perspective, but I didn't know it was that serious. So at what point, like when did you get exposed to all this and then sit there and say, okay, we need to do something about this because this is a serious issue?
1: So it's back in 2015, a friend in the industry who's become a friend. I really didn't know him at the time but he worked in risk management and he had been involved kind of on a volunteer basis through various suicide prevention organizations and kind of was in that world a little bit and aware of it. And then he kind of anecdotally started, you know, looking at some, you know, construction site fatalities that were ruled accidents and didn't make any sense. And then just started listening and talking to people and hearing stories of, of people who were, you know, dying by suicide who are associated with the industry. And so he brought it to a group that I'm part of, Construction Financial Management Association, which is a bunch of accountants. So it seems like a weird,
0: <laughs> a uh, weird fit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but risk management is a huge part of you know what what we do. And this definitely fits that risk management. Um, it also fits the just belief of if, you know, I think any construction owner would say, you know, people are our biggest asset, you know, we can all run, own all the equipment in the world, uh, but without people to to run it and to trust with it, you know, we're nothing. And so if we really value our people that much, then we need to put priority on that most important asset. So he just kind of had this anecdotal evidence and, and had been working with some professionals in suicide prevention and looking at the industry and possibly why it could be at risk. And, you know, it, it all made sense, it all fit. And so we um, kind of took it on uh, here, our local chapter of CFMA, and we put together a suicide prevention summit. And so we brought together construction company leadership and then local suicide prevention, mental health providers and, and experts and educated the construction community on kind of why why this is a risk and why it's something that can and should be addressed, you know, in the workplace. And and then we also educated the suicide prevention community about the construction community and about what it looks like to even try to talk about this and have this conversation. So we kind of brought this together. It was, you know, had about 100 people there and started the conversation and that kind of caught fire throughout the different chapters of this association throughout the country and was replicated. And then, so that was in April of 2016. And then in July 1st, 2016, the CDC released the study for the first time that ranked suicide deaths by occupation and that was the study that put construction at the top so at that point it wasn't shocking to us because we would kind of been doing this study and this deep dive about why why does this seem to be happening in construction and so we had kind of identified all these risk factors and so it wasn't surprising but it was validating because some people a lot of people still thought we were crazy like why are you talking about this and why are you doing this and You shouldn't talk about it, period, and let alone at work or in construction, you know, all this stuff. So um, it was validating of our efforts. And so that really kind of coalesced. And that's that's when we formed the um, Construction Industry Alliance for Suicide Prevention to try to start uniting the industry and getting out um, awareness and resources to contractors uh, to be able to tackle this within their organizations.
0: So you, you, and when you started talking about that, you said there were, there were weird cases where things were ruled as accident and that kind of thing. Like, what did you mean by that? What was he, what was he finding so there, in specific? like you know, so
1: This gentleman in particular, like he worked for a paving contractor and there's, you know, the, they had an incident where, you know, a guy was up on the paving machine and, you know, tied off and working, you know, no issues, never an issue, never an incident with not, you know, following safety protocol and had some, you know, stuff going on and one night all of a sudden his fall protection was on and he fell off and he died and there's that question of like wow. why why was he suddenly not tied off and why was he you know why did this why did this happen and was it really an accident or was it you know a suicide and the opportunity there on construction to do that and you go back and there was a I think it was last year in Kansas City there was a you know situation where a young man you know was on the eighth floor of a building by himself and the entire crew was all on the fourth floor. Well, why was he on the eighth floor working by himself and fell, you know, and it was later, you know, found to be that it was, it was a suicide. And and those stories start coming out (laughs) as you, as you start talking about this, you know, and the light bulbs start going off in people's heads of like, you just see them as you're talking to them of, oh, like, we never knew how that really could, like it never made sense how that could happen and maybe it wasn't an accident. So,
0: um,
1: so that's one aspect, but there's a lot that happened, not at the workplace too. I mean, there's, there's majority don't happen at, at job sites, but there's certainly, you know, you can kind of see how there's, there's a lot of opportunity on job sites if somebody has the, uh, thought of suicide to, to definitely take that opportunity on a job site.
0: That's so it's uh, then so then you're wild watching though
1: then, as an employer you know the yeah. the ramifications of that um, are are huge
0: well that's it, it's it, it I guess it's indicative of the problem too that people wouldn't even think that well this this is weird, oh, it must have just been an accident like they wouldn't even register that well, maybe we should think about this a little bit more because this is not this should not have happened, and this could have been a part of a bigger problem why Why do you think it's taboo in this industry? to talk about suicide. Like why did you even get that pushback to begin with? Like wouldn't you wouldn't you think wouldn't you think everyone would welcome it? Why, why, which I don't I'm not surprised that you got pushback, but why did you get pushback?
1: So societally, I mean that's one thing in the five years that we've been doing this, you know, society has come a long way in talking about mental health and Correct. about suicide. And yes. so, you know, five years ago still it was a it was a weird word to say, you know, people just didn't say it. Um and then I think there's so much misunderstanding about it, that it's it's an act of weakness. It's a selfish act. It's, uh, mm. um, you know, even the word like commit suicide. So we try to use the word die by suicide because um, mm. commit, you know, indicates a crime or a sin or, a, you know, it, it puts that negative picture around it. And obviously it's negative. Like we don't want people to die by suicide, but it's, it takes away all their kind of dignity as a, as a person. And so trying to by normalizing the conversation by using words like died by suicide or you know is living with depression or is experiencing anxiety not you know he's crazy or he you know like really trying to give dignity to people who are who are experiencing these conditions is is so important and as a society i think we've come a long way like i said and i think this year that's one of the pluses of COVID. you know trying to find one of the good things that have come this year is you know, we're everybody's talking about mental health a lot more than they used to. But just in the industry in general, I mean, you know, you're on a job site, and you I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day, and the guy was like, you just want to tell these, you know, pussies to suck it up. And it's like, (laughs) okay, but (laughs) like, maybe, maybe they have something going on, and they can't just suck it up, you know, and it's, it's such a fine line, because it is the industry we love and we love it because it is tough and we, you know, we figure out a way to overcome everything and we, you know, don't let things stand in our way. And yet those same strong traits can become somebody's worst, you know, biggest obstacle to seeking help if they need it. Yes. Um, and you know, I think it was the, Mike Wilhite that you're talking to. And he talked about, you know, he was going through the horse and he, you know, he self-medicated and and that's you know he's one of many 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 people who go down that path and he thankfully had the resources and the wherewithal and the people around him to to know that wasn't the permanent path but you know that kind of becomes the the cycle of you know something's going on and and you know you self-medicate or you you just ignore it and it's going to get better somehow and you know, or, you know, you are drinking and then that affects your ability to come to work. And so then that affects your employment and then you lose your job and then the spiral just goes and goes and goes. And so, or you start having, you know, performance issues or safety issues. And instead of addressing those by saying, you know, hey, why is this person who's been this great employee for the last five years, who's never late, who who's never had a safety incident, who always gets his job done. And all of a sudden now he's having, you know, near misses or he's, he's, know calling in or not showing up one or two days a week and he's all this stuff and so you you address it from a performance standpoint and say you know write him up and it's disciplinary and that just drives the cycle deeper instead of asking the question Mm -hmm. like hey you know is something going on we've noticed a real change in your behavior and you know most times given the opportunity people will talk about it they're not going to be the ones to bring it up and especially in this industry and they're not going to be the ones to come and ask for help but if you can be that one that person that asks them if they need help or if something's going on, my experience is that they'll, they'll talk to you about it. And then that, that opens the door to be able to help somebody um, and connect them with, with care versus, you know, ignoring it and, or, you know, addressing it in a negative way and, and making the problem worse. So
0: it it really is a, a bummer though, because I've, I, in, 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 And I'm I'm young. I I'm lacking experience, but I've been around a lot of construction companies now. A lot of construction companies, and I don't think I've ever seen it addressed once in in mental health and suicide. So all these companies they're so serious about safety. Oh, safety this, safety that. We care about our people. Our, Our people are our number one asset, and yet they they never talk about mental health. They never talk about this. They they don't even touch this subject, and yet like a guy that you know his wife just asked him for a divorce and he's drinking himself to bed every night coming to work that's not a safety problem are you kidding <laughs> exactly. like I, I, it's so obvious and so glaring to me and it frustrates the hell out of me that none of these people they're they're so like they're trench boxes and and their PPE and okay okay that all that stuff is great but a guy coming to work hung over every single day of the week is a in t- in my opinion a much bigger hazard than him not wearing his hard hat. It's 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 and and it's so prevalent across the whole industry. I've seen it so many times over. These guys, they'll get a thirty rack when they're going home of Coors Light. They'll kill the whole thing on a Tuesday, and then they show up to work the next day ready to go after it because that's what they have to do to just live with themselves and to calm their nerves and get rid of their anxiety and 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 alleviate depression. It's it's so it it really has bummed me out as a young person seeing this and then seeing companies doing nothing about it at the same time.
1: Yeah, now you're 100% right and even i mean even take the alcohol and substances out of it. If somebody's dealing with something, you know, whether it's a personal issue, whether it is, you know, anxiety or depression, they're not you can't be 100% mentally present and focused. It's Agreed. it's just impossible. Like yes. nobody's nobody can just shut that off and and become 100% present and with all of the, you know, factors out on job site, you know, it takes one second for something to happen that creates that, that incident that can, you know, change or take somebody's life or, you know, a whole crew or, you know, it, the scenarios are endless, you know, that you can go through. And so it's a 100% a safety topic. And that's been, you know, one of the angles that we've tried to approach it with. It's, you know, build you know, we have toolbox talks, like do a toolbox talk on it. Like, is it, is it comfortable to talk about? No, but it's a lot more comfortable to have that conversation preventatively than to try to have, you know, the conversation later on when something bad does happen. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we promote doing toolbox talks, we have hard hat stickers, you know, and it's trying to start the conversation, putting it out there, wallet cards that have the warning signs on it so that, you know, you do that toolbox talk and people are paying half attention, but something catches their eye a month later and they're like, Hey, you know, I think maybe, you know, this guy might be struggling with something. So yeah. call it the wallet card that has the, you know, of some of the warning signs and the crisis line to the number to give them to call, you know, it's, it's equipping people with those tools because nobody, you know, we're not going to turn everybody into, you know, therapists and counselors. And, and I think that's one of the things that people are afraid of is saying something and then they have to be the one to be able to fix it. And that obviously, you know, none of us necessarily want to be put in that role, but you don't have to be the one to fix it. You just have to be the one to connect them with the help to be able to get the care that they need. And yes, it's huge and it's only going to keep getting like, it's not getting better. It's not going to fix itself on its own. So until more and more people start having these conversations that then make it more, you know, again, the more people that talk about it, then the more people that are going to feel okay, asking for help when they need it or asking for help for somebody else, um, because it becomes less scary. So that's, you know, getting, getting the word out there and normalizing conversation. That's, that's a huge, huge step in the right direction.
0: And that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, a, a little bit. I've, I've explained this. I like to just talk about it to, to try to normalize it in this industry. Cause I've seen it play out in very negative manners. And then also it does help me process my own emotions and thoughts too. So it is, it also helps me to just verbalize what I'm going through and helps me even like, like I, I have a therapist talking to her. It's not really her bringing all these brilliant ideas to me. Like this is how you fix your life. It's really just the ability for me to talk through things and just have someone there to listen and kind of help me digest them and work my way through things. It's not really her giving me all these tools to like, this is how you do it. It's really just having a set of ears that, that are there to dedicated to you to listen to me, to listen to me talk, to help that helps me figure things out. But what's made me, what's made me very uncomfortable about sharing is that I'll share something personal or something like that. And all these people will will reach out to me with like sympathy and and I don't want it to seem like I'm I'm after that. I like that's right. I don't I don't want people reaching out. Like I appreciate them reaching out and a lot of people reach out in a manner that's like, "Hey man, I've been there too." And that sucks, which I I'm I'm totally great with. But I don't want it to appeal uh, uh, to, I don't want it to seem like I'm just after sympathy for no reason. Like, Oh, poor me. Like I want attention because that's the last thing I want when I share, like, I don't want attention at all. I'm just showing you I'm going through some shit. It's okay to talk about it. And here's where I'm at. Like, I'm just trying to be open and honest about it. So that's what right. I've run into. And that's I think I
1: run People fear about sharing is that then they're going to get labeled as like, Oh, there's the guy with anxiety or there's the guy, you know, and, yeah. and they don't want those, those labels. And especially again, not in this not in this industry and and so it's you know finding the the balance between like getting them to ask for and then and giving them those tools that then they can seek out on their own so you know different like there's online you know there's apps with with therapy and there's and it's just even sometimes having somebody to talk to so again one of the you know benefits of being a woman in the business is that i think these conversations are easier for me to have Mm -hmm. and for guys to have with me and and i don't think that should be a barrier to companies that don't have a woman in a role that can have them but i think they're just maybe a little bit more willing to open up and and share but then having those leaders you know especially the the big tough strong male leaders out there that will say hey you know i've i've dealt with this too or you know my door is always open if you want to come just you know just talk get something off your chest and and sometimes that's all people need they just need somebody to listen and to process um, you know, help them process, you know, like you've talked about with therapists that that can help you do that. But you know, that might be too big of a jump for some people to take, but it's just knowing that somebody's there that will listen and that will care and that isn't going to make fun of them and tease them and then go spread it around the crew that you know, this is happening. And so it's it's that balance between, not wanting somebody to feel embarrassed, and yet mm-hmm. trying to normalize it and not it, make it be an embarrassing thing, you know. And and I think we're not yeah. there yet. Like we're we're still at the place where people are going to be embarrassed to talk about it. So how do we provide those methods for them to get help confidentially while we work to break down these barriers that have this huge stigma attached with it that makes people think that like if I say this, then nobody's going to want me on their career anymore, or, you know? I'm going to lose my job or you know, whatever it is. So gotcha. Um, it's it's not a there's not a one size fits all approach, but Any conversation you have is better than none.
0: So I want to talk a little bit more about that. And we've touched on this, but why is suicide mental health? Why is it so bad in this industry? Why is it number one? Why was it ranked number one? That's a very bad list to be number one on. Why?
1: Yeah. So uh, demographics. So guys, you know, white men from 24 to 35 is like the most at risk demographic. And then like 35 to 54 is just slightly less than that. So it's it's a super at risk demographic to begin with. Um, and then the, you know, just the nature of the, that stoic tough guy I'm gonna get made fun of if I speak up is is definitely prevalent. Um, the travel associated, you know, when mm-hmm. you've got crews away from families that, you know, one they're isolated, so maybe they're going through something, and at home they have a support system, and then they're gone, and and they don't have that support system. Mm-hmm. And the way of you know what they do when they're out of town is they you know pick up the 30 pack on their way home back to the hotel at night, and they they sit around and drink that, and you know who knows what happens. Um, well, we know what happens, but you know, <laughs> you know things things happen. So that removal from support system and isolation from family, and then the family issues that can result from that, and then somebody you know that you know, having family issues resulting from not being around. And then that creates the need for, for help. The, the hours, I mean, you know, you, we work, we work crazy hours and if somebody's having trouble sleeping and then suddenly you're yanking them onto a night crew, you know, when you're you're disrupting their entire sleep schedule or, you know, I mean, or they're working, you know, 16, 18, 20 hours a day, you know, substances sometimes are the things that come in to fill that gap to, to get people through the Mm -hmm. next thing. Um, and then, you know, opioid substances, opioids um, that can come from um, work-related injuries that aren't properly treated or, you know, prescribed um, in conjunction with work-related injuries and then become, you know, misused. You know, that's, that's a big thing. Uh, veterans, you know, there are, you know, that's a huge pool that we're trying to recruit into construction. It's a great fit, but that, that's also um, an at-risk demographic so and then access to care. So there's one just kind of a resistance in general to probably accessing mental health care. And then when you look at some of the transiency within the industry of, you know, people jumping from job to job, or this fear of if I go see a therapist, and somehow my employer is going to find out because it's on my, you know, I'm using my health benefits, or I don't even know how to access my health benefits, because I that's not something that I would ever go ask, you know, HR about. So, you know, just even how do they get care if they need it? So. It's a real, um, and then the pressure cooker environment. I mean, you know, wow. it's, it's a industry that one mistake can cost a lot of money, and that pressure builds really high. And I think that's why, you know, when you look at the industry, construction occupations as being number one, it's not just, it's not just one level. It's not just laborers. It's not just <laughs> operators. It's not just a particular trade. It's everything from like laborers all the way up to project management. Um, really? it's, it's, it's the gamut. And so, you know, when you start looking at those project managers and, you know, asking them to get, get more done with less people and, and overcome all these obstacles and budgets and everything else, that that's a huge, huge ask that sometimes can just become too much. So there's a lot of factors. And that's why I said, like, as we started looking at the industry and talking to, you know, experts in suicide and kind of partnering the two, we weren't terribly surprised when, when that study came out ranking it as the most at risk just because of all those factors that are just real.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure once you start like identifying all those factors and identifying, you know, all of this, a lot of people are probably sitting there nodding their heads too like, yep, I've I've definitely seen that. I'm not all that surprised either based on what I've seen out there. And the 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 moments in which I've seen it the most are those like you just said the long hours all over schedules, weekends, nights away from home. I did I did a brief stint on the railroad and this is how some guys live. Uh-huh. And it was it was just it was probably the most isolating period of my entire life because you're waking up, you know, 2:30 in the morning, working in the middle of the desert 7 days a week. Days, nights, doesn't matter. It's extremely the the deadlines are just insane. I know you guys have have done have done railroad work. It's it's just it's a pressure cooker and it's, it's, it's just, you feel so alone in, in that environment. You're away from all your family and friends. So you're seeing what they're doing, especially on social media. You know, as a young guy, I was sitting there while all my friends were having fun back at home. You know, I'm sitting in a job trailer at four in the morning in the middle of the desert in California, like what the hell am I doing with my life? And even, even as someone that had, had previously never struggled with mental health, it starts to get to you. It starts to really just wear on you like man this is just this is just lonely I'm just i'm'm I'm, I'm out here by myself like what what the hell's going on?
1: yeah, and then if you need help, how do you get it? you know that's the whole yeah. like and that's one of the things like we try to we try to talk about and and educate you know people in the you know mental health world that have all of these you know suggestions and things that employers should do and you know bring a counselor into the office for people to have the opportunity to meet with. It's like, okay, well, our job site is milepost 273 on the I-10, you know, westbound. And like, (laughs) that's, that's our office. You know, we don't have, Uh, everybody's not in one place every day. And so that's one of the things, you know, that we promote is is building those peer support networks, whatever they are. So if it's the crew that's out of town, you know, working at a different milepost on, on the interstate every day, at least build that team within them that, they can recognize the, the signs if somebody's feeling something and they are empowered to speak up and say something or, you know, whatever it is, but recognizing we don't have the traditional workplace model where, you know, everybody's in one place every day and, you know, HR can walk around and, and talk to everybody and check in, like, it's just not possible. And so building those those networks that, you know, educating them on the warning signs, you know, and empowering them to to speak up if they have concerns. And most of the time what I've seen here is they won't speak up to each other, but they'll come talk to me. You mm-hmm. know, so having that trained gatekeeper who who people know they can come talk to, and then I can go talk to the person. And so it's that, you know, and, and sometimes it is over the phone because they are, you know, gone and they're out of town or, you know, whatever it is, but it's 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 empowering, you know, equipping them with information and then empowering them to do something about it. You know, that's, that's how we're going to start making, making a dent in these statistics.
0: So let's, let's talk about more actionable stuff and, and get more positive with the conversation. So what are the, what are the warning signs? What are the things to look out for? I guess, before we get into what you can do, but so what, what, what do you tell people to look out for?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's changes in behavior. And so it's, it's, and that's why, you know, if, the more that people can know each other and identify those changes, because some people are just real, you know, downers all the time. And so there's really nothing wrong with them. That's just their personality. Mm-hmm. But it's the person who's upbeat and positive and kind of the the life of the party most of the time, and then all of a sudden they're, you know, really down in the dump. So it's that change, that dramatic change in mood. It's, having you know hearing them talk about some kind of major life change, a divorce, a death, you know, marital issues, issues with their kids, you know, those kinds of things, being aware that those things are going on and then hearing how are they processing those. Is it that they're going and you know stopping at the bar on their way home from work every night and then, you know, that's how they're getting through it. And then just behavior, you know, safety incident. It's it's looking at those performance things that, you know, are they having, you know, increased near hits or, you know, incidents on job sites. Is there production going down? Are they making mistakes that, that don't make any sense that are really out of character? Are they, you know, showing up late? Are they calling in? Are they not, you know, performing? So it's, it's those changes in behaviors that, that are unexplained or that are tied to some, you know, major life event that, you know, that they're going through that, that people should just really be picking up on.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And now what, uh, so as an industry, I mean, what, what can we do about this? What, if say I'm a laborer, I'm a foreman, I mean, what should I be thinking about? What can I bring to the table to start making this a little bit better and, and getting it more positive direction?
1: So the, the organization, the construction industry <laughs> Alliance for suicide prevention, um, we have a website, preventconstructionsuicide.com And all the resources that we've created over the years are available there at no charge. We don't, we don't ever charge anything. There's not like a membership fee, nothing like that. It's just, it's all available to the industry. So there's a course that you can take. So again, like let's, let's include this in safety training. You know, we, mm-hmm. we put people through, you know, days of safety training when they on the job, let's make this part of it. And that's part of our conversation. You know, we're talking to OSHA, can this become part of OSHA 30? You know, is this, yeah. can this become part of something? Um, and so there's a called living works and it's a, you know, 60 minute online training that takes people through, some scenarios of, of recognizing the warning signs and then knowing how to have that conversation with somebody that they think is at risk. We've got, you know, for leaders, we've got a, a needs analysis so they can go through and kind of look at, you know, are we doing these things in our organization? And and if not, here's some ideas for how to, how to start doing them to start building things out. We've got toolbox talks on there. We've got hard hat stickers. We've got wallet cards. We've got, there's a screening, you know, a, a screening tool, which is a great way for somebody who, you know, maybe, they know they're not feeling right, but they really don't know how to identify it. And they can mm-hmm. take this online screening that will help kind of guide them to, you know, you might be, you know, experiencing these conditions. Or even if you're somebody who isn't, taking it is a real um, way to kind of, I call it mental health literacy, you know, helping understand and and know like, okay, I personally have never struggled with anxiety, but oh, by listening, looking at these questions and taking this assessment for anxiety, I can kind of understand now somebody who might be. So um, you know, those are all, they're all tools and they're all out there um, for people to have, you know, we've got posters for, you know, people to hang up on job sites, but, you know, it's, it's, it's putting the word out there so that it becomes, every time we talk about it, it's a little less scary to talk about. Um, yeah. It becomes a little more normal, reduces that stigma and, and helps people feel comfortable to ask for the help that they need.
0: Yeah, and there's, there's two interesting things that, that you just said. I mean, it's all interesting, but the, a lot of times people are struggling through something and they don't even understand that they're struggling through something and, and just identifying that, Hey, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not doing okay. And, and, and it's amazing. I and mean, that's probably more, that's probably the majority of these cases is people that are struggling that don't even know that they're struggling because they've been taught that, no, you just need to tough it out. Don't be, don't be a little bitch or whatever people say out in the field that I hear all the time. And then the other side of it is just, even if you've never felt what they're feeling or going through, if you've never been, maybe you've never been depressed, but just trying to understand what that's like. Cause I didn't understand. I've talked about this a few times over. I, I didn't understand anxiety at all for the longest time. And then I started to really, really struggle with it. And after that, I felt like an idiot for how I'd acted before when I was telling people, you know, no, nah, it's, it's not that big of a deal. You just need to chill out. And while I'm sitting there just stuck on the couch, not even be able to able to think about anything else except for I just how do I get rid of this damn stuff? And then you have that ability to empathize with people. But even if you don't experience it yourself, just trying to go to a length to just understand it and get that basic level of understanding because it is a real thing. It, it really is a physical and mental struggle that so many people go through and, and maybe you've been fortunate enough never to touch it, which is awesome. That's, I mean, I'd love for everyone not to struggle with it, but just that level of understanding, I think goes a long way.
1: Totally. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. And that's, that's the whole thing. It's just, and, and making it, it's becoming aware that this is a real thing. I think that's the biggest thing is it's not just like, I wish we didn't even say mental health. Like it's all health. Like your are yes. part part your body. Absolutely. Like, why, do we, why do we, we don't say, you know, your heart health and your skin health, you Yeah, know, your, your for some reason you know we do this dissecting from the neck up kind of thing and so it's um but but yeah recognizing that these are real conditions they're not just because somebody's weak or somebody wants you know can't you know is, is being being a wuss or you know whatever it is they're they're real things that people deal with and and there's help i mean they're they're they can be overcome and that's the big thing is that you know, by by talking about it, and by getting help, they, they can be overcome, and you can get through and you can still be productive and not just think that, you know, oh, great, I'm going to get this diagnosis. And that's going to be like a life sentence kind of thing. I mean, it's yeah. recognizing and so that's why like people just being vocal about their stories is is so important. And, you know, just company leaders getting out there. And, and you know, we, we have a pledge like that's, that's the only thing we ask is we ask people to take a pledge that says, you know, as a company leader, I'm going to I'm going to stand up for suicide prevention and stand stands for safe. So create an environment where people feel safe asking for help, and and then also tie it into safety. Um, train I'm going to train people to to understand that this is a real thing and and equip them with the knowledge to be able to address it. And then awareness. So I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to, I'm going to do toolbox talks about it. I'm going to hang up posters. I'm going to build awareness that, that this is an issue to try to then normalize the conversation. So people will speak up and not feel so weird and freaked out by it with the ultimate role to goal to decrease, you know, the, the rates of suicide in the industry. So it's, it it sounds like a big ask, you know, to, for people to do this, but it's really not. And when you look at all the investment we make, like you said, in safety and all the training and all the equipment and all the gear and all the you know safety professionals and all the stuff that we invest in, and then we're you know, completely ignoring this whole you know mental and psychological aspect of safety is is it seems like a huge missed opportunity.
0: I agree. I liked how and you've you've mentioned it a few times. You mentioned it in our original conversation how it doesn't have to be this whole. Separate uncomfortable conversation, you can just work it into areas that you can already just work it into your normal day. It doesn't have to be like, you know, mental health awareness day on your job site. You know, you need to set a whole Friday aside to go over this. Like, you can just work it into a toolbox talk that you're already having every single day. And just, and everyone's probably sick and tired of the, oh, yeah, let's talk about slips, trips, and falls again for the 300th time this year. You just need to work in work it into a conversation that's already happening. It, it's not really a, a separate separate deal a lot of times.
1: Right. Yeah. Or THA's. I mean, you know, we go through all the, you know, what are the hazards? Well, how about asking the question, you know, are you is everybody, you know, really mentally here and connected and ready to work safely today? Like start yeah. asking those questions, like build that in as a component that it's real. <clears throat> you know, I talk about like benefits, you know, in your your open enrollment meeting every year, you know, we all talk about like you know, don't go to the ER and it's this copay if you do, and go to urgent yeah. care. Well, talk about how do you access your behavioral health benefits and, uh. and make it a part of, of kind of every conversation and quit separating it out as this whole kind of yeah standalone topic. That's that's definitely key.
0: How important is this coming from the top down at a company?
1: Oh uh, it's hugely important. Yeah. One, I think just that um you know, if you can have a leader that can say, like, I've dealt with this myself, or I've had a family member that's dealt with this. And this is this is the successful outcome. And this is the, you know, those stories of hope are super strong coming from a leader. But then just even that breaking down that stigma and that fear that something bad is going to happen to me, if somebody finds out that I have this, you know, horrible mental illness, like it's breaking down that stigma and that belief and, and removing that fear and barrier from people is, is so important. So I'm a big, it's just like safety. I mean, if, if people, you know, you've got this great safety program, but they know that ultimately, you know, the boss is going to show up on the job site and their flip flops and, you know, go down the yes. ladder, you know, holding, holding something in their hand, to, you know, break all the rules or, yep. or that they're going to show up, but, but just turn a blind eye to everything, you know, that their safety program isn't going to, isn't going to go very far um, when people know they can get away with anything. And so it's, to me, it's no different than that.
0: That's a wonderful analogy. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Well, that's about what I got for you today. I mean, that was a a very comprehensive discussion there.
1: <laughs> <It is. laughs> yeah. From from tumbling to suicide to mental health yeah. to women's execution. We
0: we went stuff. all over the damn board there. Um is there anything else you wanted to to bring up before we wrap up here?
1: No, I just I really thank you for, you know, again, your transparency and just how you, you know, share your stories on on social media and on your blog and stuff. I think again, it's that it's the repetition of pe- seeing people do that that's going to help others be more comfortable with with sharing their own story, and maybe it doesn't have to be a public sharing of it, but just accepting it and, and and sharing it with the person who looks like they might be struggling. You know, it, it's one on one sharing is 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 just as important with that person who who might need help. And then, you know, I just you know, I really commend you for for all that you do and. Um, just the voice that you lend to the industry and and just your, I I love your energy and your youth. And I think that's, that's one of the other kind of, I'll I'll close on this guy, go really far. But as you kind of line up some of the risk factors for suicide in the industry, and you line up some of the reasons that young people are giving as barriers to entering the industry, a lot of them really align. And so Uh I really think that by, you know, addressing this, culturally and and helping to reduce build protective factors around these risk factors that's the whole thing it's not changing the industry it's just recognizing where are these risks and building protective factors around them i think we're also going to make it uh, a lot a lot more attractive place for people to come work so
0: 100 percent. well and hope. let's take this full circle let's go back to money because if your people are in good moods they're, they're excited to come to work they're in mentally healthy places they're just healthy people overall you're, you're, you've addressed these issues, you've made it, you know, they are comfortable to come to work and talk about these things. You're going to make more money. Your company, you're going to do better work in the field. You're going to build better products for people and you're going to make more money. I mean, that is really, it, it benefits everybody. It's a win, win, yeah. win all the way around. No one loses here. No one. Um, 100%. yeah, which and, yeah. and that's a great, yeah, we want to make the industry better and we're having a workforce problem. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's make the industry better. How do we do that? Well, this is a great opportunity for us. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I get fired up about this kind of stuff all day long. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, Michelle. Well, I really appreciate, I mean, I want to reciprocate my appreciation, appreciate all that you guys are doing for this. I'm so glad someone's doing it. I'm so glad I found what you're doing I'm very excited about it. I hope we can work together on on projects here in the future, get the word out as much as we can because I'm I'm like I'm very excited about this. Hopefully people enjoyed this discussion and we can share what you guys are doing, share the website, share the resources, try to get it out there to as many job sites as we can and hopefully make a make a difference and get off that that damn list that we have we we want no business being on. Absolutely. All right. Well, um I appreciate it, and we will. Uh, I guess everybody, if you if you enjoyed that, if especially if there's someone that you know could benefit from listening to this, it's this is uh, a private thing. You don't even you don't even need to tell people you're listening to this or, or sharing it or anything like that. You can listen listen to it on your way to work by yourself. But if someone needs to hear this conversation or you think someone could benefit from it, please share it. Uh, again, I've, I've really appreciated everyone sharing these podcasts so much. We just had. another record setting month in the month of November, getting so many wonderful messages about everyone enjoying the podcast. So I really appreciate it. And we will see you guys on the next episode of dirt talk until then stay dirty.